and one and two and two and one oh shucks i can't dance hello and welcome to stories from the open gov podcast dedicated to telling the stories about what open government and open data look like. My name is Richard Pietro and this season I'm exploring the very simple question of why open government? And in last episode I talked about how we as a community of practitioners we know and understand the value of open government and open data but how do we convince others, our friends, our colleagues, our families How do we convince the captains of industry? In this episode, I'll continue exploring why open government, but I'll I'll take a much more personal approach and and talk about uh, an initiative that I created uh, called the 2014 Open Government Tour. And there's two reasons why I want to talk about it. One is because I've never really talked about it on a podcast like this before. Uh, And the second is, this spring, a lady by the name of Amy Whitcroft, who is an open government and open data hero from New New Zealand, she'll be coming to Canada and embarking on a very similar journey as to what the open government tour was all about. And I thought that this content, this story, would be relevant uh, to, to what she's trying to do. So the Open Government Tour itself, although it's called the 2014 Open Government Tour, was actually born in 2012. The idea came up with me uh, because in in a previous life, I worked for Harley-Davidson Corporate, more specifically the marketing arm known as the Harley Owners Group. And my job was to essentially make sure that people who owned Harley-Davidson motorcycles that they would enjoy it. I, I was the editor of the magazine that went out to our membership. I helped organize events. I helped with the chapters. And, and generally, it was a very fun experience. And it was in 2007 when I was hired with them that I fell in love with motorcycling, specifically touring. And I thought during that time that it would be great to go across Canada on a motorcycle and never got a chance to do it. In 2010, I was laid off. And that's when I decided to change my whole life around. And I fell in love with the open open government and open data community. And I started thinking about how to incorporate both my love of motorcycling and open government and open data. And then in 2012, I came up with the idea of why don't I kill two birds with one stone and travel across Canada with my motorcycle and fulfill a personal dream of mine. But at the same time, why don't I hold events in Canadian cities to talk about open government and open data? So I started putting together a plan and a budget and and how I was going to do it. And it was all going to take place during the summer of 2013. And I even made a few announcements um, including at an event called Go Open Data. And for a thousand different reasons, um, it was a failure. The 2013 Open Government Tour was a complete and utter failure. So I shelved the idea. Then in the fall of 2013, I threw a contact by the, uh, through a communal friend by the name of Matthew Potter I was introduced 
Let me, let me say that again. A, a friend of mine by the name of Matthew Potter introduced me to this other person by the name of Keith Liu. And Keith Liu worked for Make Web Not War, he, which was an offshoot or a, 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 an initiative by Microsoft Canada. And Keith Liu was the open source lead for Microsoft Canada. This was his baby. And he, someone worked for him as well by the name of Bruce Chow. And I'm saying all this because purely by accident, one day as Keith and I are trying to get to know each other a little bit better, I sort of throw in that I had this idea for this tour and it was going to supposed to take place last summer, but I didn't know how to raise the funds necessary. And the funds were very limited. The tour was about three months long, 30 Canadian cities for events, and I only needed maybe about $10,000 to make it happen. Now, that... Also included gas, lodging, <laughs> motorcycle payment, insurance, all that kind of jazz. And, and I would make it happen by, be, by having a shoestring budget, by couch surfing, by doing something called stealth camping along the way. And, and I was going to hold these, organize this tour. But like I said, it couldn't happen for a thousand different reasons. So I'm telling him about this and he says, you know what, let me get back to you and and I think it was like the next day. He says, you know what, Richard? I think, I think I can give you that money that you need for your budget. I'm like, what? So, yeah, yeah, I think I was, you know, it, it seems like a really cool, interesting concept. And I, and I love what it is that you're trying to do. And I think I can give you the money for it. I'm like, well, hold on. First of all, like, I'm, you're, you're, you're surprising me with this thing. And when I was telling him about the tour, it was not in the context of, me pitching him the idea, it was just we were talking about how there's a lack of marketing and, and excitement and sexiness to open gov and open data. And I said, yeah, I know. I, I agree. That's why I put together this thing way back then. But I didn't know how to make it happen. And, and then he says, well, if I were to give you the money, I'd like to work with you on how to actually make it happen effectively. I'm like, yeah, but at the same time, you know, I don't want to be a corporate shell for Microsoft. I like my autonomy. I like, you know, not, I like the optics of not being a bought and purchased guy. And the other thing too is if I've got Microsoft money, even if it's branded as make, make web, not war, I don't want, I don't want to be schlocking Microsoft products along the way uh, and be sort of like a, you know, a, a sponsored kind of individual that way and I just I, I didn't feel it it's like well well let's let's work the problem a little bit and and we started talking and I told him well one of the things that I would consider personally is is if you were my patron sort of like that that kind of like patron artist relationship where you are commissioning me to create art in this case civic engagement as art and I'll give you the open government tour if you're okay with that kind of relationship, with that kind of autonomy, uh, then I'll be more than happy to work with you. And I give Keith and Bruce full credit on this, and they were completely on board. So we got to talking about how can we actually execute the tour. And this was Keith and Bruce's idea. Originally, originally, my plan was that I would organize these 30 events, much like I said, a concert tour, much like, say, like how Elton John or, or uh, the Rolling Stones, like if they're traveling and they're going on a concert tour, they organize the events and they arrive at a city and they perform kind of deal. He said instead, 
Keith and they said Keith and Bruce. And instead, why don't you use an open source approach and open source the tour? I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, why don't you use like local city champions to do the organizing of the event itself? Because one of the problems with organizing an event is you need to do site visits. You need to coordinate with with venues. You need to coordinate with so many different things and doing 30 different cities. I just did not have that capacity. And if I'm going to be on the road, on the bike, it's it's hard to take care of, you know, taking care of fires as they happen because anyone who's worked an event or has organized an event, there's going to be a lot of last-minute things, especially the week leading up that needs some organizing and I would essentially be on the road. So why don't we get some city champions that will locally organize the event and help also organize the programming and finding not only the venue, but also finding the local community advocates around open gov and open data, whether they are community people or government people or politicians or whatnot. And I was like, that's brilliant. So we started putting together the framework and I had targeted, like I said, 30 Canadian cities. And one of the things that the three of us, both me, Keith, and Bruce, were all in agreement on is that the tour would only stop at a city where someone would put up their hand and say they're willing to be a city champion. So while we did identify 30 Canadian cities and I approached community members in all those cities to, to put up their hand, we didn't get 30 Canadian cities. We got 17. Um, and it's kind of actually kind of disappointing because, for example, the whole province of Saskatchewan, there was, there was no one in Regina. There was no one in Saskatoon that were willing to host events. Meanwhile, we had people like Jean-Marc Laflamme in Revelstoke, British Columbia. Like He saw where I was going and I was passing through, riding through Revelstoke because I had put out my map. Uh, the route that I was going to take. And he's like, well, why don't you stop in Revelstoke and host an event here? I'm like, that's wonderful. The same thing happened with Victoria. I was originally not going to Victoria. I was only going to host an event in Vancouver. And then uh, some people, uh, Herb Lynchbury and, and David Rate in uh, Victoria, they were like, well, you got to come here too. I'm like, all right, I'll go there too. But at the same time, there were cities that had to be ignored. Regina, Saskatoon, Kingston, uh, they, they all had to be, um, there was no one that was willing to, to put up their hand and, and obviously a few others as well. So that was, eh, it, it, but that was the mentality we had. We're only going to go where people want us to go. Otherwise, it would be too much work. As well, we understood that we had to work in the open. So the budget was published. We were very open with sort of, what we were going to do. We were going to show our failures. We have a saying in the community, like, we need to show warts and all. We need to show all of that. Otherwise, our credibility goes down the tube. We also knew that we wanted to make it sexy. And to be honest, that was something that I knew that I was sort of leaning towards, but uh, Keith and Bruce helped sort of refine, which was this idea of, and I'm going to be perfectly honest here, back in 2012, not, this is like, a couple of years later, but back in 2012, I was kind of hiding the fact to a certain extent 
that I was a waiter working in open government and open data because I just I just was not ashamed of it. But at the time, I was in my mid-30s. I had worked for Harley-Davidson Corporate. Um, I'd worked for the Canadian Ski Council. I'd worked in, in insurance. I made an active decision to become a waiter. So like this, I can work on my passion projects. Essentially, being a waiter would fund my open gov and open data work. But at the same time, I didn't necessarily want to talk about it because I thought it would hurt my credibility. What Keith and Bruce were saying was a, a little bit like the opposite, which was, no, this is something that you want to tell people because it's romantic, right? The waiter doing all this great work and and you need to, that 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 juxtaposition needs to be present, that even a waiter can do what you're doing. And not only that, you involve a motorcycle, you involve a, a national sort of initiative, you bring all these things. And I became the motorcycle riding waiter talking about open government and open data. And that would become essentially what Seth Godin called a purple cow. And the premise of the purple cow is that You've seen cows a thousand times in your life and you've, and you've never said two words about them. But if you were to see a purple cow down the road, you would have to talk about it. The next person you saw is like, you won't believe what I just saw. I saw a purple cow. And Seth Godin talked about that, that premise, which is that we need to be, from a marketing perspective, is that we need to be remarkable. And not remarkable in the way that people use it like, that's remarkable, that's awesome, that's great. But the ability to get other people to remark about you, to talk about you. So this idea of having a waiter riding a motorcycle across Canada to talk about open government and open data was a purple cow. It was remarkable. So we got a bit of play in the media, particularly with the CBC. They were very kind. And, and we tried to refine that story. So... That was a big step on my part to, to really focus on this, this waiter business and not being ashamed of it or hiding it for fear that it would hurt my credibility. Personally as well, I wanted to bring a lot of storytelling, a lot of fanfare and music and excitement to these events. Make it unlike a prototypical event around government that people would have gone to. Because we, the whole purpose of the tour was to do two things. One was to help connect the country, the open gov and open data practitioners. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more a little later on. And, and the other one was to introduce open government and open data to as many people as possible. Kind of like the Johnny Appleseed of open gov and open data. Literally spreading seeds as you're traveling across Canada and one of the ways that I was able to make that happen was thanks to, was made possible, I should say, to Yuri Konga, who was the organizer, he still is the organizer, of the Go Open Data Conference. And one of the things that the Go Open Data Conference was able to do for me was fund, give me a couple hundred dollars to create decals that I would put on my motorcycle that would say the Open Government Tour 2014. And that would be on my fairing, which the fairing is essentially that big 
bat wing thing, the big shield that you see on a large motorcycle, and as well as put OpenGov and Open Data on each one of my saddlebags. And it's something that I had in mind. The folks at Go Open Data were, were more than kind to, to fund it. And it turned out to be the best decision that I made about the tour because I literally became the Johnny Appleseed of OpenGov and Open Data across Canada, not just because of the events themselves, but literally because my bike was decked out. And I mean decked out. It, it, was, it was completely loaded with gear and, 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 and luggage and all that kind of jazz. And I'd be riding down the road and I'd stop at a Tim Hortons or I'd stop at a gas station and people would literally walk up to me and say, what's, what's this open government thing? And I would, I had, I think I did the math. If, if um, I count how many people attended the events and how many people actually walked up to me just in the street because they saw the bike, I must have talked to at least 2,000 individuals about open government and open data. And... And as often as I could, I took pictures of people with the motorcycle because it was, it was a wonderful experience for everyone. And the bike would create its own kind of personality. It became the open government bike sort of uh, organically, and it was great that way. And so, so continuing with this sort of Johnny Appleseed, like, and, and I said, like, people were stopping me in Tim Hortons and in gas station asking me. And I had these, like, 30-second, five-minute conversations. People to this day, because I still have the decals on my bike, uh, except now instead of saying Open Government Tour 2014, which is very dated in 2020, it says just the Open Government Bike. But people will, to this day, they'll stop me at a red light. Like, I'll be sitting on my bike at a red light, and people will roll down their window and say something like, what's this open government thing? And I, and I tell them, it happens quite a bit with pedestrians or crossing the street. Um, so it's been a really fun thing. And like I said, all it cost was $200 from Gop and Data. And like I said, and Yuri Conga. And it was the best decision that I made for the tour. Because I, I talked to more people about open government and open data because of those decals than I did at the actual events albeit the events were much more detailed. We're talking about events that are three hours long and maybe like 30 seconds to five minutes tops uh, as these sort of roadside conversations. So anywho, the bike is ready. The format is ready. I now set up what I called gear up events. So continuing with this idea of the open source mentality and the open source approach, we, I created kind of like an alpha set of events. It was three events, one in Peel, one in, um, I'm going to say Owen Sound. It was Simcoe County. I think the event actually took place in Owen Sound. And one in Niagara Region. And I had city champions there. Uh, uh, Peel Region, Simcoe Region, and Niagara Region. Uh, it was uh, Ron Jaros, Ashley Whedon, and Connie McCutcheon. And I just wanted to test the format. I wanted to test my tenting and camping abilities. Uh, I wanted to test the bike in terms of what it is that I should carry. And for a week, I did sort of a mini version of the tour. I called them gear up events. Uh, even a, a friend of mine who's a big camper, um, uh, Craig Carter uh, Edwards, uh, actually tented in his backyard. 
uh, just to, before I went on these gear up events, just to test like sleeping and and how I would do with it. So the gear up, gear up events take place, and there's a lot of learning that took place because of those. And um, we made some adjustments, primarily as it dealt with technology, because I wanted to bring in a lot of people via Skype that may have been international or may have been from other parts of the country, because that goes back to this other thing that I wanted to tell you guys about, which was me, Keith, and Bruce, we saw across Canada a lot of pockets of open government and open data organizers and advocates, but they were all very local and they were not exposed to other regions of Canada. So what we wanted to do was connect them somehow. And that was very important. So, for example, an event in in Calgary, I would feature via Skype, say, city champions from Halifax or Toronto or Ottawa or, and whatnot and, and trying to bring those people together. And I'll, I'll get into some of the, the success stories around there. All right. So now I have sort of the format. And format for the events themselves was very prescriptive because I wanted to make it as simple as possible for city champions to literally just template the event. The first event was in Toronto. It was a launch event. I organized it and I knew what it is that I wanted and it was very simple to execute The next event was in Montreal, and it was organized by a master's student by the name of Alex Alex Matsnaki, and I think I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. But he had never really organized an event, and there were a lot of things that were missing, and there was a lot of things that were out of my comfort zone personally. Uh, It was still a successful event in terms of we held the event, but it was not exactly... I did not react well to, to some of those things that were missing because I had a very clear vision. And I give all credit to, to Alex. He was a great sounding board. And, and one of the decisions that was made going forward was that I needed to, to relinquish creativity. Instead of being so prescriptive about the formats, we would let the city champions, instead of having a hard sort of here's how we're going to do things, let the city champions take some very basic sort of elements. Let's bring it down to the lowest common denominator. And it was actually the city champion for Halifax, the next event on the tour, that really helped codify that format. And I think his event was held in a bar in Halifax. And we split it into two halves. One half was open government. The other half was open data. And we would essentially cut it in half when it, when it came to um, the guests that we would bring in and keep things simple. He would sort of source some people locally, and I would source the Skype guest. And that format would become the format going forward for all of the other events. And I give full credit for Jamie uh, for bringing that uh, uh, idea to the tour. Because without it, I think it would have been a, a, an abject failure. And because of that, because of relinquishing freedom, it it was each city would now adopt its own kind of personality, its own kind of culture, its own sort of tone. And it was wonderful. 
in PEI, Jody LeBlanc, the city champion there, uh, introduced something called Mandela. She had Mandela's inside the events, and Mandela's are allow people to sort of doodle uh, in, during an event, and apparently that helps focus the mind. And Mandela's became a very powerful symbol of the open government tour and some of the work that I did afterwards. And to this day, I still use Mandela's, and we try to use Mandela's. We use Mandela's in Quebec City, uh, uh, Vancouver, uh, geez, where else? Uh, uh, Ottawa. And, and we try to use those Mandela's whenever we have the opportunity. I still use the Mandela's now, like I was saying, particularly at my events uh, called the, the Open Government Celebrations. So it's something that's carried on since then. So, so we've split those responsibilities now was I was really getting into the um, riding of, of the bike, which was a wonderful experience because not only was I doing these events and talking to people about open gov and open data, but I was also witnessing Canada. I would stop at art galleries and museums and and beautiful scenic sceneries, uh, like for example, outside of Thunder Bay, there's a canyon. I didn't know we had a canyon. It's not the size of the Grand Canyon, but there's something like that. I forget the name of it now. And, and, and because I was publishing all of this via social media and videos and newsletters and tweets, the small audience that I was able to garner, and I think it was actually Jodie LeBlanc, and I'm bringing her name up again, she was like saying, this is like a school trip for me, like an online school trip. Like I'm visiting all these things that I never knew existed, whether it's a museum or or, or a place like it, it, like I think you know uh, it was in uh, Alberta, a place called uh, Broke Neck Buffalo Jump or something like that, and it was, you know, I never knew this place existed, and a whole bunch of people got to find out because I found out and because I was talking about it. So, and a lot of those pictures uh, along the way. Uh, I took with my phone and they became really good pictures and I've posted them before and I'm very proud of them. I just wish I'd thought about, uh, I knew I wanted to take pictures along the way, but it it came to be that maybe I, I should have created even a coffee table book out of it. Like never thought that far ahead, unfortunately, but in retrospective, it would have been a good idea because they were really nice pictures and I just don't have the content or enough of them to create a coffee table book from. So nonetheless, the tour takes place across Canada. We're able to now, like I said, speak to a whole bunch of people. We have the, the, the purple cow, so we're getting some media attention. We're getting a draw. We're talking to people on the streets. And, and this is the second element, or I should say, let me phrase, the last element that I want to talk about, which was what we were able to do with the tour. And I'm not going to say that it wouldn't have happened if the tour had not existed, but I do believe that the tour acted as a catalyst. And that was connecting these regional pockets of open government and open data together, as well as boosting the profile of those pockets. And I'll give you an example. The city champion for Moncton is a gentleman by the name of Nick Scott. At the time, he was uh, the executive director for an organization called NB Sprint. I forget what that stands for now. And uh, 
there was another gentleman in Calgary who was a private sector guy. He did some community work and uh, his name is Jeff Zakabe. And, and, and both Jeff and Nick, Nick in Moncton, Jeff in Calgary, independently held fantastic events uh, in, their, in their cities. It was, it was magical what they were able to do. As a matter of fact, Jeff was even able to get a, a, a message, a video message, a video welcome from uh, the, the mayor, uh, Nancy, uh, for the tour. So he did some great work. But somehow, Jeff and Nick got to talking, I guess, at one point, and then started collaborating together. And I know they worked quite a bit, especially around the GovMaker events. And I like to think that I'm sure at one point or another, Jeff and Nick would have crossed paths. But I'd like to think that the tour helped facilitate and make it happen much more quickly. And that happened in other instances as well where I, I, I really do believe that it, 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 it made, it brought the country together faster because I'm sure it was going to happen nonetheless, but it made it happen faster. And that's sort of, at least to this date, you know, a bit of my legacy in open government and open data, and I hope there will be much bigger things that I end up doing in, in my lifetime when it comes to open gov and open data. And um, like I said, it's, it's important. And, and again, to answer the question of why open government and how it can be relevant, this is the reason why. It brings people together that probably would not have been brought together ever. Um, or at the very least, it helps make change happen more quickly. I'm not talking about the tour itself, but if OpenGov did not exist, the change that we want to see in government could very well happen. But how it's going to happen and when it's going to happen, I don't really know. But OpenGov and Open Data are creating a structure, they're creating an infrastructure of people who, who are making that change happen. Because I think a lot of us can agree that we need a serious dose of change when it comes to government. And I hope to wrap, the, wrap this all together now that Amy, although she's not doing an open government tour as explicitly as I did, but as Amy travels from the Western Canada to Eastern Canada, she is able to to experience and facilitate and to enjoy and to act as that catalyst. This, the, the one thing she has going for her is she's a purple cow as well because she's a New Zealand resident. She lives in New Zealand. Through the magic of online, she's connected with a lot of Canadians. And now she wants to personalize. She wants to meet all these people and have a great experience that that she's connected online with. So I give her full credit for taking this giant leap uh, because it can be scary uh, without a doubt, but her reputation is beyond reproach. Like when I started this in 2012 and then eventually in 2014, um, 
I certainly did not have the reputation I have now. Uh, so it's it's. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. If I were to do if I were to do the tour today, it would be much easier. But um, I wish her the best of luck. It's it's gonna be great. It's gonna be fun, and I, and I hope um, that she is able to to be that purple cow in Canada, because it's been a while since in Canada we've had something as huge and as public facing as the open government tour as it deals to open gov. And perhaps that sounds a little arrogant, and I, and I do apologize. But, um, but I think it's the truth. The, the open government tour was a marketing exercise for the general public to learn about open government and open data on a national scale. Um, it has become, like I said, my, my legacy in some way. And I think I'm rambling now, so I'm just going to stop. And I want to thank you all for listening. I want to also ask you all to leave us comments, leave us feedback, tell us how to make the, the podcast better. Give us a rating on whatever service you're listening, whether it's SoundCloud or Stitcher or, or uh, iTunes, uh, because that goes a long way. So until next time, let's make it open.